What is good, everyone? Welcome to the Exhaust Notes Podcast. My name is Nick Ingvall, and I am one of your hosts today, along with my friends, Rohit Malhotra and Todd Yates. Our goal is to share our passion for motorsports, and more specifically, Formula One, because F1's popularity has been growing so much in recent years, and there's just a lot of fans just getting into the sport. We wanted to answer some of the questions that you, our listeners, had reached out with, and one of the most common questions is just kind of a general understanding of who the teams are and who the drivers are. So rather than just explain who the teams are, we decided to have some fun with it, use some other American sports and some pop culture references to really help you understand Formula One teams. And if you're already an expert in Formula One, you'll probably find this episode entertaining to say the least. Buckle that safety belt and enjoy the latest episode of the Exhaust Notes Podcast. Welcome to the Exhaust Notes Podcast. Hey, what's good, everyone? Welcome back to the Exhaust Notes Podcast. I've got Rowett and Todd with me. My name is Nick Ingvall, and we are pretty stoked to to just be back recording again. We got a uh, we got we're we're on the on the verge of a new Formula One season. Fifty three days away, I believe. So yeah. it's going to be a good time. Yep. How you guys doing? All at once, we're doing great because we've got this genius idea that will let Nick kind of divulge. But personally, you know, yet another blistery cold but sunny day here in Portland, Oregon. Todd, how about you? Uh, you know, living the dream, counting the days, dreaming of Danny Rick coming back to glory. <laughs> if this is the first episode that you've tuned in for, you know all you need to know about Todd in terms of his Formula One fandom. Not only is it fandom, at this point, I feel it's a mission statement that he introduces himself as the president of the Daniel Ricardo North American Fan Club in the greater California Valley. I don't even know if that's a region. I just made that up. But yeah, the, I always like the confidence that Todd brings when it comes to the Honey Badger. I try, you know, it's uh, I he had, a, as we talked about on a previous episode, he had a bit of a disappointing year last year. So I'm trying to manifest his latest of the late breakers back into existence. I think it's always good for the sport to see Danny Rick on the podium, you know, and I think part of part of his allure is why we got to have this episode, right? Because we dropped a few episodes of the podcast. I got a bunch of text messages and DMs from people asking about Formula One that aren't active viewers and watchers and fans of Formula One. And that's why we wanted to start this podcast is just share our excitement with people around the sport, around cars in general. but like. Formula One is just like such an exciting experience right now because look, they're crushing social media, Netflix, like you can't, you can't not get excited about it if you give it the time. But I will say it is a huge learning curve compared to American sports. And there was people asking me questions about it. And I thought, okay, like this is what we need to do. We've got to explain Formula One in terms of like other sports that people here in the States are familiar with and comfortable with and know, right? Because that's the hardest part is like understanding who you get into and why you get into a team. So anything else you guys want to add to that before we jump into this? Yeah, absolutely. I think to second both of your, or I guess third in this case, both of your points, Danny Rick is in my mind, the reason why Formula One is so popular because he anchored that first season of Drive to Survive. It's all about Danny Rick as his progression. You see this athlete who maybe 
leaving his prime, maybe entering his prime. And he's at this crossroads moment. And if there's one thing we love as Americans, it's sports narrative of did I make the right decision and I picked the right team or am I going to be stuck with a bunch of losers? And it's funny you mentioned the social media explosion because the comparison that I make right now with Formula One is it's almost got this NFT buzz about it, but without that technical barrier. But then as you talk about it, Nick, it's one of the most technical sports there is in the world. And that's something I'm also kind of looking forward to getting used to and getting to gain an awareness about because as of right now, I'm just here for the personalities and the competition. If I pick up any of the technical stuff, that's just the cherry on the Sunday. Well, that's, that's kind of why we have Todd, right? Because he's, so I'm not as a, I'm not, I'm more into the marketing aspects of, of racing in general, right? Like my brother's always kind of been the driver. I have one brother who was a, a literally a professional mechanic for many years. And I kind of just was like, I, I just like, I like the, uh, here's the best way to put it. If you just step back from formula one, from racing in general, from cars in general, and you just think, wait, somebody gave these dudes and dudettes a Patronus sticker, a Haas sticker, a Ray-Ban sticker, just to go drive around. Like somebody's paying them for that. Like that's an, ins- and it's not just like a couple of people, right? These are massive teams. But that concept of like just being like this crazy marketing thing, I know probably there's some people listening that are like, yeah, that's NASCAR, Nick. What's up with that? You know, but I just love the idea of what what's racing as a sport is in the marketing sense. So we can just lean on Todd for all the technical stuff because he's been diving into this for way longer. And I try to, but I definitely don't understand enough of it, even after 20 some odd years of, of watching and wishing I did know better. <laughs> All no I can pressure, say Todd. is when you said the marketing bit, I just picture the uh, Ricky Bobby scene where he's got the big Fig Newton sticker on his windshield. And he's like, that is a dangerously large sticker, but I do love Fig Newtons. And that's kind of how I feel about Formula One, where that is a very dangerous sport, but I do love it. And I'm getting anxious to learn more about it. So we'll defer to the professor, Todd Yates. I mean, with all due respect to Alan Prost, this is the only Formula One professor I care about right now. You guys are hyping me up way too much. I, I, I just let's like, go, dog. you know, fake it till I make it. Same. Yeah, I mean, same. All right. But hey, I think we should just get started. And I'm just going to say, I think we just got to rip the Band-Aid off. Todd's got to start us off and we got to talk about McLaren. Because when he sent that text. Before we do that, do you want to just quickly give everybody a quick overview? We're going to walk through all 10 teams. And one of the inspirations of what we want to give you guys as our listeners by the end of this is whether it's an Instagram post, whether it's a a Twitter thread, we want to come up with those counterpoint comparison points or those counterparts that Nick had alluded to. But I was particularly inspired by college football. And then anytime you watch a college football game, every team now has these placards at the sideline that tell you what the play is going to be, but you have to decipher it. So that was kind of the visual representation that we wanted to come up with. So sorry, Nick. Sorry, Todd. That was the last thing I wanted to say before the honey badger floor is yours. (laughs) No, no, that's, that's great. great. I like that. Yep. I like that explanation. And yeah, this, I apologize for these references in advance. I don't necessarily agree with them. I was trying to be, comical uh and educational at the same time but starting with my team papaya team papaya the beginning i liken them to the cowboys and as much as i dislike the cowboys i'm gonna say that because they are at least at the current time america's team they are heavily branded by american companies they are by far and away the most popular team on the grid especially in the americas um 
And, you know, they are, as many Cowboy fans out there can attest to, they are always on an upward trajectory, yet kind of falling short at the finish. So I liken that to the the Dallas fandom of, well, there's always next year. We're going to get them next year, Super Bowl bound next year. So that's where I see the McLaren at this point. Now, I like that comparison, and I think it's even more apropos considering the trajectory of the Dallas Cowboys right now, where it seems like they're on the upswing, like Todd had mentioned, and they've got a very likable cast of characters. And I think the one thing you can say about both of their drivers, in this case, Dan and Ricardo, as well as Lando Norris, is they're bros in the best way. They're constantly giving each other shit. They're engaging with the fans, and there's just a genuineness to this. So I think that's an apple. And the one comparison I was looking at is I like that idea of the USA aspect of Todd's call-out, but I think they're almost like the USA men's national team, uh, specifically from soccer perspective, because every time there's a World Cup, it becomes this kind of coming out party where people realize, hey, the Americans are kind of funny and goofy in the best way, but if you don't like pay attention to them, they may like swing up on you and make like a deep run in the knockout round. So that was my comparison point for the McLaren team was the U.S. men's national soccer team. Nick, how about you? Yeah, I mean, I think th- that's a great that's a great point too because even this is a terrible comparison, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but like in terms of like American football, right? As a not very active fan at this point in my life where I used to watch a lot. The most, uh, the most kind of known or the most, at least to me, the person that stands out from the, the most in outside of the drivers from a team is Zach Brown, just because he's like a face that you can kind of recognize and see. And he tends to pop up in a bunch of things. And maybe that's just me wearing my papaya colored glasses, but I also would say like in some way that's Jerry Jones in NFL football, right? Like he just pops up on all these random TV shows and you're like, dude, is this, I mean, not to say that Zach Brown is this old, but Jerry Brown is like, or Jerry Jones is like, how is he still old alive enough to do these things? You know, (laughs) helps to have money. He feasts on defensive coordinators and offensive coordinators past souls. I think that's how he does it. But yeah, it's one of those interesting things as well with McLaren where I was going to say we would try to also work in non-sports comparisons because I think that also further drives some of the point. Bad pun. First one of the show from Roe. But I honestly want to put the honey badger on there because it's that idea of honey badger doesn't care about anything. And the one thing I kind of get from this team, whether it's a cultural identity or not, or whether it's purposeful or not, is there is a fearlessness with them. They go for those last lap heroics and more often than not, they're able to pull them off. Like Todd, you mentioned something in the pregame meeting, if you will, about Danny Rick being the last of the last breakers. If you have 30 seconds that you could summarize what that means, I think that'll also go a long way. Sure. He um, during his time at, at Red Bull, he kind of got this this nickname. But um, due to the mechanics and the way that the racing works in Formula One, because following uh, due to the aerodynamic regulations in the last uh, last turbo hybrid era or since 2014 um, or slightly part of that. But <clears throat> um, the way that the passing happens in most most instances is a. Uh, driver is following another another driver on the straight and using their slipstream to get close to them in addition to DRS which is the drag reduction system that opens the rear wing gives them a little extra speed down that straight and when they get to that corner 
they have to basically break later than the guy in front of them to get next to them and or pass them. And Daniel Daniel Ricardo uh, got kind of a nickname or a, a I don't know what the right word is. I'm struggling right now, but he got that. How about a tendency? Yeah, I got a tendency uh, to be that last that la- last guy on the brakes and that kind of almost dive bomb-ish around that corner. So Perfect. So what I was thinking was for McLaren, I have the Dallas Cowboys. I have a Honey Badger. I have the U.S. Men's National Team. We have spot for one more thing. So quickly, Nick or Todd, give me one last thing that makes you think of McLaren. And it may be something as simple as the papaya. I mean, I think you got to look a little bit into their team history, right? Like they're maybe not long term, but the names that have driven for McLaren through the years, right? Like Lewis Hamilton's on there. I want to say Emerson Fittipaldi is on there. Obviously, Ayrton Senna is on there. Personal favorite named my dog after Mika Hakkinen. I mean, there's a lot of like, I don't know what that what that is in that fourth quadrant, but like eight constructors championships, right? I can't remember how many driver titles they have throughout the years because it would be like a lot. But, you know, kind of, I guess. You know, alludes to the to the Cowboys, right? Like they've been a very successful team for, you know, aside from the like, you know, the falling short aspect over the last 10 or 15, 20 years, it's very much like someone you expect to be there towards the end of the season competitively, I guess. Okay. I'll I'll noodle on that in a bit, but I think for now we can give Jerry Jones his own square because he is that (laughs) larger than life personality. We'll give the Dallas Cowboys star. We'll do the crest of the UMNT. And then of course the honey badger. Speaking of kind of carelessness, does anybody want to go next or should I just drive on in? Drive on in. Okay, I will go with the team that had the driver's championship this year, and that's Red Bull. And for me, they are kind of an amalgamation of a couple of the following teams. Chelsea Football Club, the Kansas City Chiefs, and the Dallas Mavericks. So why I kind of compare them to Chelsea Football Club is they are a power that's kind of just only sprung up in the last decade or so. But my goodness, are they dominant? I believe they won four titles in a row at least. And now it seems like they're riding another second wave. And when I use the Dallas Mavericks comparison, it's also based on the fact that they have a transcendent player like Luka Modric and Max Verstappen, where he is just seemingly playing a different sport. And I kind of use that analogy with my beloved Kansas City Chiefs as well. And that's where the Patrick Mahomes comparison comes in. Because when Red Bull is on, they look like they have the fastest car. And it doesn't even look like a car. It looks more like a spaceship. But there's also that kind of new money quality about them. And then I guess one other thing I could think of is a Wall Street firm because the way they burn out some of their other drivers, it is very much a top-centric team. And if you are not good enough, you are already out the door. And because they have almost like an Oakland A's farm system, they'll bring the next hotshot young driver in until he burns out. Because ultimately, we are all serving one master, and that's Max Verstappen from a Red Bull perspective. Guys, any additional thoughts on that? Yeah, I'll jump in there. I uh, also weirdly have the... Dallas Mavericks as uh, one of my alliances there, but not necessarily from a transcendent player, as you mentioned, but the way Red Bull came into the sport. um, Everyone's familiar with Red Bull. They sponsor everything. Like I I told you guys, they sponsor everything from plane races to cliff diving to every extreme athlete you can think of. 
and they pretty much just bought a Red Bull or they bought the uh, Jaguar F1 team um, with play money. So I likened that to Mark Cuban buying buying an F1 F1 team with play money, and um, you know they they've as you mentioned the new money aspect came into it had success pretty quickly after coming into that and. As you also mentioned, they won four titles in a row with Sebastian Vettel. And then my other, um, and <laughs> Nick's not going to like this, but my other uh, thing that it reminded me of, but was uh, the 2013 Giants that were unstoppable on top of the world and then quickly fell off, um, as did Red Bull in the um, the inter- entering into the turbo hybrid era. So. Yeah. I mean, I don't like that, but I do agree with it. Right. Like going from the top to the bottom is a, is something that very few teams can do and, and survive. But, you know, I think, you know, on the flip side of that, that's, that's the, that's the same comparison that you would look at, right? Like they really just hit rock bottom almost that first year Two giants kind of did the same thing. And, and, you know, in between those terrible years, right. 2010, 2011, 2011 was terrible. 2012, they won again. 2013 was horrendous. 2014, <laughs> they won again. It was like, you know, I mean, Giants baseball, if you're a baseball fan, like that would the torture years is like the years that they won. And we called them the torture years, right? Like, I think the other yeah, interesting. I will say, go ahead. One last thing about this team, and I'll take it to another one of my loves professional wrestling. We cannot go any further talking about Red Bull before we talk about their principal. And a principal is essentially the GM and the head coach rolled into one. And I think right now there are two really memorable principals in the sense that Red Bull and Mercedes, which we'll get to later on in the show. But the dynamic I get is Max Verstappen is Brock Lesnar and Christian Horner is Paul Heyman. And now as I think about it, he might not even be Paul Heyman. He might be Sandra Bullock's character from The Blind Side because he's got the charming dislikability like a southern woman who always says bless your heart so that was the other thing i was kind of leaning on because anytime christian horner has something to say to the media it's always a backhanded compliment and it dresses up really nice and then as he's walking away you're like this dude just insulted me and my team so that's what i was going to say about christian horner and uh which call it max verstappen that is great yeah that is really good i think too the other the other kind of thought that just popped into my head if you're a fan of like basketball or like street ball and like, and one mixtape era of, 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 of sports, right? Like Red Bull is, is basically like the globe trotters that became a professional team in a sense. Right. It was like, just like these, like to Todd's point, crazy amounts of money, just casually, let's just buy the Jaguar team and call it Red Bull and make our own formula one team. But like it's, it's, it's working right like they're now well now this next season they are a manufacturer right they are manu you know through honda or whatever but like they're making their own engines they are actually a manufacturer that's like just it's like almost like just so surreal to think of like oh these are the guys that were like literally doing donuts for you know vine five ten years ago and like all of a sudden like you know, they just became this media empire. And then now they're like a, a racing empire across all different categories of racing, not just Formula One. Right. I mean, 
even just at the rally, the Monaco rally over the last couple of weeks, you know, two of their cars are out there just like, like whooping, whooping ass, you know, like it's like, yeah, you thought they were just like the Globetrotters or you thought they were just the N1 mixtape kids on the playground. And then they stepped into the big ring and like, like showed everybody what's up kind of, you know, it's pretty wild. Nick, I think you've got the next pick. So why don't you show us what's up and uh, make the next comparison or at least start us off? Uh, I mean, I'm going to go, although we, we started with McLaren and, and I do feel that it's the, it's America's team. The actual America's team is the Haas team. And it is, uh, it's been an interesting few years for them to say the least. They started out really strong. They, I think we talked about it on a previous episode, right? They finished fourth, fifth in the constructors a couple years back. Yeah, in their second, uh, in 2017. Which is insane. Nobody does that, right? Like, unless you're Braun and somehow there's this weird situation where you get a team for a few bucks and all this weird stuff that we'll probably cover in a future episode. (laughs) But like the Haas team should not have been as successful as they were in 2017. And then they kind of completely, you know, they kind of tanked in 2018, 2019. And I feel like over the last two years, they've just been in this quote, rebuilding phase of ah, we'll wait for the next era because we don't want to spend a bunch of money on these cars because they won't be here two years from now because you know they want to continue to be a team which i don't know if uh if if there's a a proper analogy for it but the bad news bears comes to mind you know just kind of like ah, we're gonna just we're just gonna be here on the playground and we'll make it work somehow how about the uh, Philadelphia 76ers while they were trusting the process before they got the stars? <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Todd, how about you? Any thoughts when it comes to Haas? Because they are a very interesting unit to say the yeah, least. Yeah, so I <laughs> I immediately think of, and this is mostly because of the the last year um, of racing for them, but they, they got a new heavy sponsor. Um, uh Nikita Mazepin's dad owns uh, your alkali, whatever it is, chemical manufacturing, something like that. And uh, they're from Russia and are not allowed to compete under the Russian flag. So they just decided to paint the car like the Russian flag and say F you to everyone. So I, I likened them to the 1980 USA hockey team, Miracle on Ice, that, um, most folks should be familiar with, but in a weird twisted way of a fantasy that they joined forces with the Soviet team and then they had to play against the NHL. And, you know, on paper, they should be good, but they don't have Herb Brooks coaching them. They've got a a Gunter Steiner Steiner, uh, F smash my door. Um, If you've watched Drive Survive, you'll get that reference. Uh, But yeah, they, he's a, profanity-ridden, German-speaking Italian dude that lives in America and uh, is just a lovable character, but not sure he's really really driving the bus there. So, No, I was going to say, when I had to come up with my analogies, I kind of zigged when everybody zagged, and I thought, okay, let's do pop culture, but let's do TV shows. And how I kind of characterize Haas, at least in the three years I've started watching Formula One, is there's the American era, and then there's the Russian era. And when I think of the American era, I think of Dunder Mifflin Paper Company because it is a plucky underdog that is led by this charismatically inept 
leader, Gunter Steiner. Hello. Well, welcome once again to our podcast. And they almost seem to win in spite of him or they seem to get these results that you're like, how are they pulling this off? Now, to Todd's point, when they ventured into the dark side and please don't hack us, Russian hackers, we're just trying to tell a story and be colorful as we're doing it. It reminds me a lot of Succession and Todd, I think, also mentioned the fact that Nikita Mazepin, one of their drivers, in fact, also their other driver, Mick Schumacher, are kind of on this team because of their dads in very real ways. And so the only thing I can think of, at least for this modern era, at least in the last two years, has been the Succession theme song, where I just hear Logan Roy telling people to F off because these guys are going to be good one of these times. But at the in the meantime, they're just a comedy show of error. So if you could compare and contrast the awkward bits of succession to the awkward bits of the office that's how i kind of view haas that's great yeah it's that's solid yeah definitely i think too like if you're if you're new to formula one and depending on where you're at in your netflix drive to survive journey uh one of the one of the terrible terrible explanation one of the crowning achievements in terms of like uh tv time was romaine groshan's fiery crash which you know was one of the craziest things i've ever seen in anything in all of life i think anybody that was watching that race live absolutely thought the worst had happened and you know spoiler alert if you haven't watched drive to survive yet you know watching the race it was a solid like two minutes of like terror in you know, just waiting to see what happened with drive to survive. It was a, a solid like 12 to 15 minutes of like impact to him getting out of the car. And I think that too, is just like an interesting kind of weird way of describing Haas, right? It's just like, okay, somehow we made the front page of the paper and, you know, and yeah. it only took us setting our driver on fire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Now, I was going to say, the way I look at it, I'm trying to be a little bit more optimistic. <laughs> you had to purify your soul to enter the Russian era of the Haas team. So that's exactly what happened. Uh, because Roman Grosjean and I think Kevin Magnussen was his partner driver are no longer on the team. It truly was a reboot. And, you know, if there's anything we love right now as a modern society is it's a reboot. It's just It just took somebody literally plunging to the depths of hell and getting out of it to right. cleanse the story to start again. Yeah. And it's important to note that, you know, somehow in all of this craziness of, you know, teams, a, a team being paid for and a driver's dad owning the team sponsor and all of these things, Haas also has probably one of the most, let's say, you know, watched and anticipated drivers in all of Formula One history in, in Mick Schumacher. Right. So there's just like a... I, I don't even know what to love to, it and to call it. it. It's just, yeah. It's just like, what is going on here and how, and how does this still keep going yet? I want to see more. Yeah. No, the one thing I was going to say is if we don't have any familiarity to who Mick Schumacher's dad is, think of this in the scenario of Marcus Jordan decided I'm going to play in the NBA instead of starting a sneaker shoe, a sneaker shop. And that's what Mick Schumacher represents. He is the son of what many people consider to be one of, if not the goat of formula one. So that's why there's that interest there to see, okay, is he a chip off the old block like the old man, or is he there just based on the last name alone? Yep. 
Todd, how about you? Who do you have up All next? All right, I'm going to go to our Italian brother in Ferrari. And I, I immediately thought of, and, and Nick, you kind of brought this on, up on one of the previous pods, but they have this air apparent about them. So I think of them and they have this, they have the allure and the, the money of the Kardashians. They have the dominance of the Yukon women's basketball team. They are the longest running constructor in Formula One with the most titles, most drivers championships, most constructors championships. They are the best historically. And they have the most diehard fan base of probably any any F1 team. They, they're called the Tifosi. They have songs. They have, it's just, it's, it's a lifeblood in, uh, in, in Modelo or, well, in Italy, um, but all over the world, the, the Tifosi are diehard. And I, I liken that to any Premier League football club. Um, they just, you know, they're violent. They are happy. They are sad. They are enraged. They're loving whatever you want. No, I really like that because I think for me, the fan base, I think most of in terms of that very emotional where their hearts on their sleeves is the LSU football team fan base. And they're one of those universities and one of the, those fan bases that they may invite you over during a tailgate to sample their gumbo. But if you're not looking, they may dump you in the gumbo and you're part of the next batch, so to speak. The one thing I would also say is if you love a good bandwagon team, why not join the Ferrari team? Because they have enough of the championships in the past where you can kind of flex your credibility if you want to do that. And they have probably the most balanced driver's lineup I can think of between Carlos Sainz and Charles Leclerc. And I know this is probably as unglamorous of a comparison as I can think of, but the way that these two drivers kind of play off each other and they're always kind of in the running and they're very workmanlike reminds me a lot of that Detroit Pistons team that had those five all-stars and Tayshaun Prince, Chauncey Billups, Richard Hamilton, and the Wallace boys, Rashid and Ben. That's a solid analogy. Uh, I initially just thought, you know, as much as, as much as uh, I, I have more admiration for Ferrari and these drivers and, and honestly, the team as a whole, the company as a whole, they're basically the Yankees to me. They just are. If you're new to a sport. You, you know, that's who you land on because they've won the most. They are the most worldly, you know, in terms of like just everywhere you go in the world, you will end up seeing a Ferrari fan somehow some way right whether that's you know you know i think that the yankees are kind of the same way you just you're going to see a new york yankees hat anywhere in the world at some point and i don't know if i love that or hate that about ferrari Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably the perfect way to kind of jump off them because they are one of those teams that only evokes either love or hate. Uh, the next team that kind of is like that, and I'll jump in, is Mercedes. Now, prior to Max Verstappen winning the past year, this has been essentially the Lewis Hamilton show for the better part of what feels like a decade, if not more so. And we are kind of seeing Lewis Hamilton exit his prime. So the natural thought I had was this is the last dance bowls. But then as you read a little bit more about what's going on, you can see some other comparisons that fit that. So gentlemen, please keep me honest, but is Total Wolf not the Phil Jackson of Formula One where he's this kind of charismatic Zen master? The less he says, the more effective he is, but he still has this hulking presence about him. But what's interesting about this comparison is the fact that they've essentially lost their Scotty Pippen and Valtteri Bottas, but 
unlike that Chicago Bulls team, they've essentially picked up the biggest young driver in the world right now. So think of this as instead of Michael Jordan leaving the Bulls, Scottie Pippen left and to replace Scottie Pippen, they got Miami era LeBron James about to join the crew. So that's how I kind of look at Mercedes because if they do this right, they should run away with the title this year, whether it's the constructors or the drivers. But what do you guys think? Is there any other comparison that you want to fabricate with? Go ahead, Todd. Yeah, I'll jump in there. Uh, I think the that that's an, a great analogy. And um, I'm going to flip it over to football. And to me, they are the Patriots. They have Perfect. they have Brady, who's the GOAT, uh, who may or may not have just retired. I saw conflicting reports. Um, but, you know, Hamilton, you can liken him to, to, to Brady. Uh, you know, maybe... Maybe George Russell's Gronk. We don't know. He could be. He could not be. Could be. A, he's, too he, nice. he's, he's also small, so maybe he's like a Julian Edelman. We don't. We don't know. Um, but and then we have we have Belichick in uh, Toto Wolf, albeit Toto's much less sloppy and uh, much more German. Um, yeah. He's 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 hard nosed. He doesn't take any BS, and uh, he'll he'll say it like it is, whatever it is. Yeah, I tend to I tend to agree with Rowett on the the Phil Jackson comparison because in in a lot of ways, like Toto kind of says a lot in his expressions and his lack of actual words, right? Like the quieter he is and the more you you see it, right? Like he he kind of wears everything on his face and sleeve in a sense, right? But he doesn't speak a lot the way some of the other you know, team principles do so. Um, and I, and I, I think the Patriots analogy is pretty solid too. You know, they are kind of, you know, they're obviously just coming off this incredible run. You could probably argue that the changes that are happening this year are because Mercedes has been so dominant over the last eight years, um, 10 years, whatever it's been. But yeah, I think that, uh, it's to me, it's not quite Patriots because I hated the Patriots during that era. It's almost like, I don't know, this might be another bad reference, but like, it's almost like that giants baseball era, right? Like, you know, you're not supposed to like the team that wins all the time, but then you end up kind of on the team that's winning and, or, you know, your team ends up being the one that wins. And it's still like a team that people other than Todd tend to like, you know, like, (laughs) Like a lot of a lot of those Giants teams were pretty, pretty, you know, just like felt like likable characters, in my opinion. And I think that's, you know, to, to your point about like Lewis is obviously to me is like, I mean. One of the better human beings on the planet and George seems to have that same kind of. Quality about him that, you know, it's almost like. Yeah, I guess I guess Jordan and LeBron, you know, it's it's tough, though, because like, you know, you just. You can't really tell where it's going, at least, you know, with. With where they came from, right, like that run of of Lewis and and Valtteri was so. Just incredible, right, and probably not as incredible for for Valtteri, but it's almost like the Jordan and Pippen era, right? we didn't know that Scotty hated everything about Michael Jordan until the last six months, you know, like from an outsider perspective and up until even through the last dance, it was like, Oh, cool. This is great. Like I'm riding the coattails and I'm right here and I'm winning too. But like 
I don't know that that's, that's like kind of, I guess, leading into, you know, let's say the next team, right. Valtteri leaving Mercedes to go to Alfa Romeo is much like Pippen leaving to go to, you know, the Blazers or, you know, go play in Houston with Charles Barkley. And like, you know, I just don't see, I can't understand that decision personally. I, I think I can. And the analogy I initially used in our living, breathing doc was it doesn't matter what league you follow. There's always one team that picks up a free agent that grossly overpays for him, thinking that that is going to be the shot of credibility they need to get to the postseason of their league. And it just ends up floundering. And this comes across as kind of classist, and it's not my intent, but it's that middle class mentality from a professional franchise perspective. It's really weird. The other thing I could say about this particular team is anytime you have a player that you appreciate and it's later in their career, and you see them join another team and that uniform just looks weird. So the analogy is Emmett Smith on the Arizona Cardinals or even Michael Jordan, the Wizards, or just think something along those lines of this is one last paycheck. And the only other thing I could think of, and this is me being ageist, so sorry about that as well to our over 50 listeners, but this is the senior PGA in a lot of sense because of the fact that you had people like Kimi Raikkonen, you have people like... Valtteri Botas now, who I think love the sport, want to stay in the sport, but they also maybe not want to work as hard because Alfa Romeo is as pedestrian of a team as I can think of. They're always racing, but they never seem to have any sort of credibility when it comes to getting in the points, let alone the podium. Yeah, I think that's a that's a great analogy when you talked about Jordan and the Wizards or <clears throat> all of that, because I see Alfa Romeo as uh you know, you actually, I think you mentioned it, Rohit, on a previous podcast, but, um, you know, Premier League uh, Premier League players that are kind of past their prime that take that one last big paycheck to come play in the, ML- uh, the MLS, think David Beckham, think, uh, who's the new dude, Zoltan or Zoltan? Zlatan, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, who is now back in the Italian League. Yeah, so they come and they get paid over here just to, to do that. And we can, you also just mentioned... Um, Kimi Raikkonen, who was, you know, he was a big deal when he was with Ferrari for the last four or five years previous to him joining Alfa Romeo. And he just went there to go go have fun, get a paycheck, you know, kind of have – just do, do what he's going to do. He's the Marshawn Lynch. Yeah, yeah. He's, yep. the, he's, the, he's the Marshawn going to the Raiders. He's, uh, you know – I'm just trying not to get yeah. fined is essentially the Alfa Romeo mindset of like, yeah, I'm here. I'll do an interview, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm and one, one other thing I have for Alfa Romeo is I kind of, I don't know why, and this is again a bad reference, but like legally blonde ish type of thing pops in my head because they're technically Sauber F1 team with the title sponsor of Alfa Romeo, but somehow that kind of took over and they're a, Italian or so they're Ferrari engine supplied. So again, the Italian roots there, but they're technically a Swiss team with Sauber with an Italian sponsor. So they're just kind of all over the place, a bunch of genius level people working there, but they kind of come off as aloof and just misguided. So that's where I get the, uh, the legally blonde thing from. I like that. I like that a lot. I was just going to go with the trope of Professor John Frank from The Simpsons, who, to your point, Todd, genius, but very socially awkward and is basically Jerry Lee Lewis. But I think Legally Blonde is going to do a lot better with our female listenership. So kudos to you. 
I wanted to use that as a segue to talk about another team, which is a feeder team. And there is this concept in Formula One of teams existing to replenish drivers. And we mentioned Alfa Romeo kind of plays that role for Ferrari. And then other team that does that is the subject of our next comparison point, which is Alfa Tori. And they are Red Bull's sister team. Think of them as a younger brother. Anytime Red Bull needs to send one of their drivers down, so to speak, to AAA ball, they'd send them to Toro Rosso. Hello, Pierre Gasly. But the thing about that is, while they are a feeder club, like a lot of Minnesota franchises used to be for Boston, I would say this, they also have a bit of Oklahoma City in them in terms of they pick up that young talent and they seemingly have this excitement that's around them every year. We are going to talk about one man and one man that inspires joy in a lot of Formula One fans' hearts, even though they may not follow this team, and that's Yuki Sonoda. And so, Nick, can you give us a quick crash course? Sorry, once again, bad pun on who Yuki Sonoda is. Uh, I mean, he is kind of the the young, cool kid on the block, in my opinion, that just surprisingly or I guess unexpectedly kind of came up through like this, you know, Honda partnership. Right. And, you know, I guess for, for me and like a lot of my friends that are into Hondas in, you know, IRL, so to speak, not IRL, that's a terrible reference, I guess, to use on a racing conversation, but in real life, (laughs) we're into Hondas, uh, you know, having somebody that comes from the world of Honda racing along with, you know, at least up until this next season starts Honda, you know, being the engine supplier for AlphaTauri and Red Bull. Uh, he kind of became like almost like. I don't know, just almost like the instant favorite for a lot of people, because it was like, wow, like Honda actually cares about Formula One again to the point where they're bringing somebody up within their system and, you know, and putting them on that top top level of racing. Right. Um. But also he's just like super. He's he comes across as super personable and like happy to be everywhere, which I think, you know, being paired with Pierre Gasly. Who also comes across that same way, it's almost like I think we might have referenced this either in like, you know, just casual conversation or in a previous episode, I kind of liken their a friendship and their approach to life as like what I wanted to do with a skateboard with a group of skateboarders as a teenager is just like travel the world and like constantly be joking around and having a good time and just, you know, being pretty much carefree. But I also think that that's uh, to your point about the, the quick, uh, the quick cutoff, uh, you know, from the, the senior Red Bull team or the upper Red Bull team, you know, both these guys are, they're not going much further than where they're at right now, let's say. Yeah, definitely. That's, um, on Alpha Tori, I feel like, you know, they have that always the bridesmaid, never the bride feeling because they are the. Ooh, good one. Yeah. They're Julia Roberts. They are the Julia Roberts uh, in that scenario. They they are the feeder team, as we mentioned, for, for Red Bull. But they're not really a junior team. They're the sister team. No, just kidding. They're the junior team because I can replace a driver midseason and send them down to you and take one of yours when I want. So they're not really a sister team. But the the it's to both of your points, the the feeling I get that they evoke is is gives me definitely like uh stepbrothers vibes. Um they are just yeah. 
absolutely fun loving and they just they they truly come across like that they have a friendship between the two drivers which is rare like some sometimes you get that but there's also a lot of contentious relationships and kind of maybe made for tv relationships that appear in f1 but they definitely like in all of their media that comes out of the AlphaTauri team, they seem like they're having to Nick's point, like the greatest time on earth, wherever they go, where, like, however they're doing it. Yep. Yep. I liken them to probably a seventies R and B group called fire and ice, because I think those two things encapsulate both of their personalities. Yuki Zenoda is a whirling dervish. He is, I think what sub five, four, but he does not have the happy little man complex. That dude curses up a storm English is his second language, but you can't tell after a certain post-race because he is so furious at himself and everything around him because ultimately the passion just exudes through the radio and he just wants to do well. You can kind of sense that societal pressure on him that he has to kind of be this guy that we all think he is. Conversely, Pierre Gasly is as ice cool of a driver as Formula One has, and I may even make the bold proclamation that he might be the best driver not in the top three teams of Ferrari, Red Bull, and Mercedes. And there is just something about him in terms of a mental toughness there. As some of you may be aware, I think in season two of Drive to Survive, you could literally watch this man's career hang on a knife's edge because he was just not cutting it at Red Bull. There were really loud conversations about why is he even in this competition? And then to see him rise above like a phoenix, so maybe an X-Men analogy there, he got a podium with a team that was never really ever considered to be on that level of being podium quality. And he just keeps coming along. He's almost like the little engine that could. So I have a lot of respect for both of these guys for different reasons. Yeah. And to Todd's point, right? Like that's, that's kind of the oddity of the Alpha Tori team is you never really know if it's sister, if it's, you know, junior, if it's, you know, we're all in the same family or sometimes it feels like we hate you as if you're your, our worst enemy kind of situation because both the teams are super competitive. And I think too, like, you know, I, I can't think of a time in any racing that a secondary team really performed to the level of, of like what Alpha Tori has done in the last couple of years. Right. Like they've genuinely like, like surprised people, you know, to, to your point about Gasly finishing, you know, and I guess like we'll get into the, the other teams, but like, those races where that where uh you know and you if you watch drives survive where alexander alban was you know all the back and forth between alpha tori and red bull it it's obviously dramatized for for drive to survive but i don't think there's ever been like a a secondary team that's felt as threatening to the top team in a you know in a franchise let's say if that makes sense right no absolutely i mean the other thing i'm thinking of is the manning brothers we all know peyton's a better quarterback but eli's matched him title for title and there are these moments where you're like is eli slightly better than peyton have we all just been duped by these southern uh, gentlemen and yeah speaking of the southern thing like you mentioned there's a weird kissing cousins vibe to them or to your point we don't know what exactly their relationship is with red bull we just kind of accept it and we move on so yeah so let's 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 just 
stick with the Alexander Albon reference. He's now driving now in a seat for Williams, who, uh, you know, unfortunately lost Frank Williams recently, the name, the namesake of the team. And it's obviously been they've been going through a lot over the past handful of years because this is a this is a team that was dominant for years. There's, you know, plenty of movies for you to go seek out if you haven't seen Driven. Like there's a a, a loose reference to to who Frank Williams was in the paddock um, in that movie, I guess, with Burt Reynolds and Sylvester Stallone. But the team itself, you know, has been run by, I guess, up until last year, right? Like the team was run by his daughter um, for the last four years, I want to say. A few, yeah. Claire Williams? Yeah. Um, but you know, it's, it's tough to, it's tough to see a team that was so dominant for so long. I don't know. Um, I don't know how many titles they actually have throughout the years, but you always knew Williams. If you were watching any kind of formula one racing, right? Like you just knew that the, the team was at one point, probably up to Ferrari's level of awareness within the within the fan base and the last i don't know five to eight years ten years maybe even has been they've been you know stuck barely barely above the bottom of the barrel um hey they got p8 this year (laughs) yeah i mean they came off the bottom of the barrel a few inches yeah yeah yep a few inches no, I was just going to say they remind me a lot of the Cubs before their title and what the current malaise of the New York Knicks is where we're clearly treading on yesterday's successes, but there is that lovable loser or you guys are the dumbest things in the world vibe to them, depending on how you want to be in that particular moment when you're viewing them through that lens. I think they're going to be good. The thing that I'm most interested about them is how do they replace... George Russell, who, as we've kind of alluded to, is heading to Ferrari, uh, to Mercedes. But Alex Albon, on his day, seems to be a high-level driver. Do you guys see them building on that momentum, or are they going to be fighting with the hosses of the world to bring up the rear? Yeah, I think they'll they'll come around on on this season a little bit. I think they were definitely on a big upwards trajectory last year. I mean, it was kind of lucky timing with that pit stop in Spa for during qualifying that. Russell was able to put it on P2, but it, it, any F1 media that you follow rates George Russell as as the second coming of Lewis Hamilton or, you know, he's he's been in under the Mercedes wing. He's His agent, weirdly enough, is Toto Wolff. So he negotiates his contracts. He's, he's a Mercedes-sponsored driver that's been on loan to Williams this entire time. I think they're going to come around this year. I think... It'll be de- a definite P8 looking up. But uh, if I was going to liken Williams to anything, I would I would I think of two things. As as Nick mentioned, Williams Racing is kind of like royalty in in Formula One. They um, th- they've been around for for I think forty ish, probably more years. Um, Frank Williams was a driver himself way, way back in the day. Um, but I liken Frank Williams to or like the Williams racing to kind of the queen of England 
in a weird sense. Queen Elizabeth, the crown. Because they are because they are royalty uh, amongst Formula One. But I also would say that he's kind of a kind of a mad scientist slash con man. The way that he came into Formula One, if you if you look into his history, he had a team um, that was fledgling at the time. Uh, he then sold that team and bought another team's car to. He sold his name and team rights and everything away. That was I can't remember exactly what it was called, but he then started a new team with the money from selling his old team and bought another car, and then just changed the name a little just so he could still be in Formula One. I was going to say, that reminds me, as you were initially starting, I figured, oh, this has kind of got that Heisenberg feel to it. But as you kind of tailed off, it felt more like Marty Bird and the family from Ozark. So I was also going to say the family business component of it made me realize of Kim's Convenience, which is probably the best family business show that I can think of recently. But all great analogies. I think we've got two teams left. So where do you guys want to end off with Alpine or Aston Martin? I think I think we should we should touch on one other thing about Perfect. Not necessarily about Williams, but about Alex Albon. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the interesting thing about Formula One is I would compare it to like basketball in a sense that like all of these guys that are good end up playing for the Oak Hill Academies, you know, St. Vincent, St. Mary, you know, like era, right? Like all of these schools that are absolutely just set up to create new NBA superstars. And Alex Albon is one of those outsiders in a sense but he's such a part of the the coming up of all these other guys he's you know great friends with george russell who he's taking that that seat from or you know stepping into that seat afterwards he's raced with red bull i think he's i want to say he's pretty pretty close friends with charlotte claire you know like like he's a part of the formula one family so even though he wasn't racing this last year he did have that year with Red Bull where he got a few drives in. He is going to be way more comfortable in a seat than what you would think of being like just new to a sport or or stepping back into a sport, right? There's like a lot of camaraderie that goes around with this younger group of drivers that I think I think of it I would I would relate it to the way uh you know the way the the camaraderie exists in the NBA between like a Chris Paul, a LeBron James, a Carmelo Anthony, a Dwayne Wade, like it's almost like take those guys that have 20 years of experience in the NBA, put them back at 22 or 23 years old. And now they're all formula one drivers. Like that's the kind of relationships that exist here. Cause these guys all went through five to 10 years of racing in, in go-karts and formula three and you know, all these other different, aspects of racing to get to the formula one level which i just think is really interesting as a as an if you're listening as an american sports fan is not something you would really think about but there's a comfort level with these guys that is just like completely different than you know what we're used to seeing in terms of like people coming up into the league and the i'm sure the hazing and stuff still exists but there's going to be some interesting pieces to this as all these guys all these really close friends get more and more competitive this year. That's why you should be watching basically like these guys are going to get like, you know how you're competitive with your friends. Like that's how this is going to be this year. I think in, in ways that we just haven't seen in a long time. It's a great point. 
Speaking of points, we, we want to go to the former racing point and talk a little bit about Aston Martin because they are a very interesting thing. The first thing I think of is their lead driver, Sebastian Vettel, is this kind of, and I hate using this word because it gets overused, but he truly is a quirky guy. Uh, whatever you think of a race car driver and a championship race car driver at that, Seb is kind of not that. He's an environmentalist. He's got a very dry sense of humor. And he just kind of looks more at place at a farmer's market than he does necessarily at a race paddock. And for that, he kind of gives me Tim Duncan vibes, where Tim Duncan is probably the most prolific big man of his era. He's won numerous titles. There's no question about his legacy or his greatness. And that's how I kind of feel about Seb, even though Seb has questionable attire or he has these quirky stories about picking up trash after a race, much like you would imagine an Onion headline written about Tim Duncan. So, guys, what do you think about that? Yeah. It's a great one. <laughs> the one, um, the one thing I, I I think of, I can't not think of, is comparing Aston Martin to just the Bond franchise, 007. Yes. Be, yep. Solely because of the fact that Lawrence Stroll bought the team, so that his well, he was a heavy investor for the, uh, while it was Racing Point, and then bought the team and then changed the name to Aston Martin because he also bought Aston Martin. He is a Bond villain. He just has that money. He is ominous on camera at all times. He looks like he is secretly plotting to take over the world at some, some fashion. And, and just, they have, this is kind of a different way, but maybe it's a new age, James Bond in Sebastian Vettel. And then the, you know, lovable kind of duncey secondary driver and Lance Stroll. That might be a, you know, a new age cue, if you will. Yeah, no, I like it a lot. I mean, I always kind of get Lance Stroll as like, Papa, please pay attention to me. I'm, I drive race cars now. You bought a race car team. Come on, please. I'm right here. Love me. But but also with like that, like, you know, stereotypical nice guy Canadian approach to being a villain, yes. right? You know, very nice guy, like a trailer park boy, you think, or even nicer? <laughs> like Letter Kenny a little bit. Letter yeah. Kenny, yeah. What's the big gentleman on Letterkenny who always has questionable things to say about uh, the main character's sister? Oh, God. What is his name? Squirrely Dan. Dan. Squirrely Dan. Take it down a peg, Squirrely Dan. Yep. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it it is kind of crazy because unlike the, you know, the good old American Haas team where the Russian influence has basically resulted in, I think more, more DNFs and spin outs than any other team on the grid. Lance Stroll's actually become significantly better in the last, you know, two years of, of, yes. of being a driver. And, you know, I don't know where to credit that other than, you know, it's hard to not give some credit to, to Sebastian Vettel here, right? You're driving with arguably one of let's say top 10 or top 20 drivers of all time and cars that are good, but not great. You know, like you wouldn't expect these cars to be at the top in any way, shape or form, right? You'd be, you'd be comfortable putting money on them that they'd be in the middle of the pack, let's say. And yet there's been some times where you're like, Whoa, Lance Stroll. Really? Which to me is just surprising. 
I was going to say this. He is the embodiment of the 10,000 hours theory that Malcolm Gladwell wrote about. It's not just the fact that he's got the tutorship of Sebastian Vettel, which I'm sure is there, but he's been in Formula One for a hot minute now. And it's one of those things where like, you put somebody at a particular level, they'll rise to that level eventually if they keep getting chances the way Lance Stroll has. So, Yeah, it's unfortunate that a lot of these – well, not a lot, but – we know that F1 is an old, rich, white sport, right? It, it has been for a long time. It's a pay-to-play type situation. And we still have that quite a bit in in Formula One that we have these, you know, Guan Yu Zhou came in this year with a heavy Chinese investment. As, as, as we mentioned, Lawrence Stroll bought the team that his son was racing for, but he was a heavy investor before that. Um, a lot of these drivers come with – Checo Perez has uh, – Basically, the the Carlos Slim, the I believe he's a soda magnet. No, I, I think it's cellular. Could be wrong, but yes, yeah. Um, okay. But it, well, it might be it might be soda. I don't know about that, but yeah, I know that he's involved in cellular too. But yeah, they have a lot of a lot of uh, money that gets them there. But they're also there for a reason. A lot of these drivers that came through, like Lance Stroll, was super successful in, in Formula Two. So it was. Um, uh, Nicholas Latifi on Williams, who also has, you know, is one of the title sponsors for Williams now and buying his way in. But there, every driver on the grid is a top level driver. Sure, there could be yeah. some some kids waiting in the wings that are more talented in F two, like Oscar, Oscar Piastri won the F two championships championship this year and absolutely deserves to be in Formula One. But the timing didn't work out, and he'll get his chance. So. Just when we joke about pay drivers, uh, you know, all these drivers are absolutely fantastic and deserve to be there. Yeah, most definitely. I think, too, the other thing to to keep in mind with if you're new to Formula One is that these guys will bounce from team to team, right? Like there's there's such a, you know, over the last, let's say, 10 to 20 years, there's been such a dominance of those top three, four teams that, you know, even Aston Martin, right? Sergio Perez was driving for Aston Martin as a racing point driver. And, you know, then as soon as you get to that point where you, you have that opportunity to drive for a team that's actually, you know, competitive enough to potentially win, it's natural for you to kind of jump to that next level within the sport, which is really interesting. You know, like you look at the, you know, there's 20 teams on the, or 20 cars on the grid I would say that up until this new season, hopefully this new season is is much more competitive. But like, you know, there were six, maybe eight cars, if you were really nice, that you thought could win at the end of the day. And a lot of times what would happen is these these kind of middle of the road teams would essentially just be a stepping stone for all of the, the better of the drivers on the grid to like, let me show that I can put one of these average cars on a podium. And then next thing you know, the next season or season after that, you move to the team that's already on the podium and you're just maintaining that level of competitiveness for the the team that's there in a sense, if that makes sense. Is that, am I saying that right? Yeah. And with that, I think we have one last team. Uh, They're a French team. They were previously known as Renault, but now they go by Alpine. So switching one French brand to another, their current driver lineup consists of a Spaniard, 
uh, Fernando Alonso, and a Frenchman, Esteban Ocon. I'm kind of biased because Ocon's my guy. He's the one that I kind of gravitated towards most when I was watching Drive to Survive. And what struck me about his story was the fact that he does not come from money like a lot of these other drivers do. I think he and Lewis Hamilton were the two exceptions to the rule where this is a rich white man's sport or a rich man's sport. But Esteban seems to be one of those quintessential gym rats that's just constantly in a simulator or tweaking his car. And he's kind of got a slender frame about him. So he reminds me a lot of Jared from Silicon Valley. And I would say Fernando Alonso is in the best way imaginable, a lot of good stereotypes about Spaniards. He's very passionate. He fe- He's fearless. He's like a matador with a bull. And I think he might be as good of a person to say, hey, you were the reason why Lewis Hamilton didn't necessarily win the title this year because he has kept Lewis Hamilton at bay for a couple different races. But I was kind of stuck with what to say about this team. So guys, once again, I defer to you. What do you guys think of when you think of Alpine? This is a very, very weak reference to them, but they as you mentioned, Rohit, that they're they're a French team. They're owned by, uh, for our um, unknowing American fans, Re- Renault is a large car manufacturer in 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 France in in Europe in general. Um, and they have this pretense about them. They have this, you know, kind of nose in the air. We're French and we're better than you. And we don't care that we're completely mismanaged. Um, we're still better than you. Um, but I also liken them, and this is kind of going back into their history. Alpine now, Renault previously, has changed hands kind of more times than a dollar at a strip club. They they, they have been uh, – at one point, they were two different teams on the grids. They, they went from – Tolman to Benetton to Lotus to Lotus Renault to having two different Renaults on the grid to uh, just Renault and now Alpine. So they have been around the block, let's say. Be careful with that. No, no I'm kidding. <laughs> Nick, what about you? I mean, I, I, I'm a big uh, Fernando Alonso fan, but I will say that he is kind of like some of the other references we've made, right? Where Someone just kind of, you know, he's on his way out. His career has been phenomenal so far. And you see glimpses of his greatness every couple of races. And then he is kind of nowhere to be seen every couple of races, which is, you know, it's a tough thing to, to, it's like, if you've watched the sport long enough, you'll see you'll absolutely see crazy fans for, for Fernando, but you'll, if you've seen him in his greatness, then you're also kind of like, you know, it's like Jordan with the wizards. Do you really want to watch this? You know, shouldn't we give no, somebody I was gonna else say, a dare shot? I risk the wrath of Kobe fans online, but it felt like Kobe kind of in his last couple of years, the analogy I was thinking more, especially with the cultural aspect, he reminds me a lot of the Gasol brothers where they were both really good in their day, probably very talented winners, extremely skilled. But yeah, I think their best days are behind them and you're just getting those glimpses of how great they truly were, but not on that consistent basis. The other thing I was thinking about, Todd, specifically around that snooty French thing, Ricky Bobby, Jean Girard. I mean, France invented freedom, the threesome, and I think crepes, which are these like tiny little pancakes. But yeah, I'm kind of stuck because I still don't know what to do about them. I think they have a similar dynamic to Aston Martin where you have this older established driver and you've got this young up and coming driver. The difference is 
Esteban Ocon won a race, which was crazy because we don't imagine that happening on any team that's not named Mercedes, Red Bull, or Ferrari on a given day. But there is something to be said about it. They continue to just chug along. They are as consistent of an outfit as you can be in the fact that they will either be fourth or they will be sixth. They will never be higher than one of those things. So I want to disagree with Nick a little bit here. I think, as you just mentioned, Esteban Ocon won a race this year. Granted, it was fortuitous uh, in in the events of that race. A win is a win. But the reason he won that race is because of Fernando Alonso keeping Lewis behind for what felt like eternity in a slower car. And just like Kobe's last years, he still had a game where he'd go up and drop 50. Jordan on the Wizards, he also had a game, I believe, that he went out and dropped 50. So he might be on his way out. The man's 42. I think he'll race until they tell him he can't anymore. But I think if you give him the right car on the right day, he'll stick that thing on the podium. No questions asked. And we, we this comes into the technicality side of Formula One a little bit. But if you put him in equal machinery, I still think he'd be up there with Max, Lewis, Seb, all, all the greats that we have on the grid right now. I would agree with that. I, like I would that. definitely That's agree with that. Statement. I think it, I think the the thing for me is like an element to Formula One that a lot of people don't realize first coming into it is to you you both have kind of hit on it with this team. This team is wildly consistent, but from an outsider's perspective, this team has been fifty different things in the last ten years. Like you you don't know. You know what I mean? Like we we've changed branding, we've changed names, we've changed livery, we've changed drivers, we've but yet they're always right here, you know. So it's it's almost like, you know, I, this is an old reference and I'm 42 as well. So like it's almost like the blazing saddles thing, you know. He's like steady as a rock. Yeah, but I shoot with this hand and he's shaking his other hand, you know. I feel like that's how they are, right? Like yes, they're always going to land between 4 and 6. But like some days, like you just don't even realize that they're on the track and they're between a four and a six. And other days are like that with, you know, when you're just like, wait, like Alonzo's doing this in a car that is like, you know, potentially like 30 percent less capable than the car that Lewis is driving. Right. Being nice, I guess. Yeah. But like it's still putting it to him and like you're just like, yeah, it's it's uh, it makes for some entertaining driving. Oh, absolutely. Like I was thinking almost San Antonio Spurs like efficiency where uh, I think of the famous quote that's associated with them about the stone cutter and the stone cutter basically says the stone cut, uh, the stone doesn't break on your hundred swing. It breaks because of swings one and 99 combined. So that's kind of Alpine in a way. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. Perfect. I think we're out of teams to talk about guys, but any last parting thoughts before we break? Uh, for me, I just, I'm very excited about this podcast. We were discussing episode ideas earlier and if this is your first episode, uh, welcome and, you know, look, look out for more from us in the future. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to seeing some of the, the, the liveries and the, the cars rolling out. And, you know, I think. As a, as a newcomer to the sport for a lot of people, not myself as a newcomer, for newcomers to the sport, I should say, um, you know, when the new cars are unveiled, I think that's a that's a part of the, like the real like excitement. Right. Because you can, you know, you can 
fall in love with a driver, you can fall in love with the team. But when the new cars come out and you get to see like the excitement of a new livery or new sponsors or, you know, kind of to, to some of the things that we've mentioned in this, where like the, all this stuff changes, but, but it starts to define an era and we're kind of in an era of change for formula one. So it's like, I don't think it could be a better time to be a, a new fan of formula one. I agree. This is a perfect time to jump in. All right. Well, it's a pretty, pretty solid, a solid analogy. Hopefully you can all kind of understand some of these teams a little bit better from a, a layman's perspective, I guess, or a, a, a casual sports fan perspective or just a pop culture reference. Right. We've had we've had some gems tonight. You guys have had some gems tonight, I should say. Um, and honestly, like there are uh, we have a we have a cheat sheet for this episode that won't ever make it out to public. But there was many more cuss words and we're trying to like you know, we're kind of trying to ease our way into becoming the Gunther of uh podcasts, so to speak. You know, we don't need to be dropping all those, but maybe, maybe we just start a Patreon and that's where we drop all the F-bombs. Only fans. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> all right. Well, thanks for listening to the latest episode of Exhaust Notes. Make sure you hit subscribe, like, favorite all these different places that you can now do that uh, every platform being different uh, and obviously if you enjoy it or if you don't if you had feedback for us leave us a review because that will definitely help us get uh, better at what we're doing here and uh, hopefully we'll see you or hear you or you're listening or connecting with us on social media guys let them know how they can find you i am at t yeezy on instagram and you can find me in the sneaker history discord you can also find me on Sneaker History Discord at RoadM13, and that's also my Instagram handle. And then if you ever want to chat with me on Twitter, it's at Roheasy. Nick, how about you? I am at Nick Engvall on all the platforms. Um, spend more time in the Sneaker History Discord than most places, but uh, I've been enjoying some of these Twitter F1 spaces. So if you're a Twitter user like myself, definitely check out some of these conversations because there's some interesting folks out there that are talking about F1 now that uh, season's about to get back underway. So thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll catch you in the next episode. Peace. See you guys.